This program is presented by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hi, I'm Sarah Gregory, and today I'm talking with Dr. Domenico Ontranto in Italy. Dr. Ontranto is a professor of human and animal parasitic diseases in the Department of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Bari. Welcome, Dr. Ontranto. Buongiorno, Sara. Hi. Hi. And thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here today. So, let's begin. Could you um, explain what leishmaniasis is, where does it usually occur, and what are its symptoms? Yes, Sarah. I would say leishmaniasis, because almost 21 species of leishmania protozoa have been isolated from humans. And they may cause cutaneous, mucocutaneous, and visceral forms of the disease. So, they represent a major burden in the micarias, with at least three 350 million people at risk and in the world, and approximately 1.5 million new cases each year. These infections uh, have been known for centuries, I would say, as they have been supposed to be originated in South America about 47, 36 million of years ago. And just consider that cutaneous forms have been represented in poultries, uh, wacos, in pre-Columbian hands. And they were also well known in Mediterranean Basin, in the Middle East, as Bouton d'Aleppo. So they are typically anthropognotic. There are typically anthropognotic Leishmania species, uh, such as Leishmania donovani, and other zoonotic, uh, such as Leishmania tropica, major, and infantum. The latter, Leishmania infantum, is the main agent of canine leishmaniosis, which is one of the most important vector-borne parasitic disease of dogs occurring on all countries except Oceania. So this distribution is mostly tropical and subtropical. Leishmania is endemic in Eurasia, Africa, and the Americas. Also, I would say that Leishmania causing Cutaneous lesions of uh, uh, macropods like kangaroos or the wallabies uh, has been characterized in the north of Australia. So the, the epidemiology of leishmaniasis uh, is complex, as it involves different vectors, hosts, and parasite species living in a constantly changing environment. Other factors uh, have been relevant in the introduction and spread of the disease to regions where infections were not previously found. For example, the adoption and transportation of dogs from areas of Canadish-Maniasis endemicity or the establishment of permanent central vector populations in previously free areas. Which is the result, so the result is that Leishmania is expanding to new areas in Europe, northwards from the Mediterranean, Mediterranean regions and in the Americas southwards uh, to the tribal border between Argentina, Brazil, and Paraguay, and also reached Uruguay. So the pathogenesis of these diseases is rather complicated. Indeed, depending on the parasite tropism, amastigotes invade macrophages in the skin, mucosa, and internal organs, mostly the spleen, liver, and bone marrow, and they cause the depletion. 
accordingly, this pathogenesis, I briefly summarized, clinical presentations may vary from localized skin lesions to generalized disease with fever, weight loss, enlargement of the spleen and liver, anemia, leukopenia, and thrombocytopenia. In dogs, the infection by infantum may be asymptomatic, and this is uh, quite important to consider that uh, over 80% of the cases uh, in some areas are asymptomatic, or may evolve to life-threatening uh, over disease with a wide range of clinical signs, uh, um, from localized skin apparitions to severe loss of weight and derived lymphadenomegaly. Therefore, it's really difficult to say which are the symptoms because the severity of the infection depends on the host immune system, nutritional status, but also by protozoan species by themselves, by the strains, and also to a lesser extent by the sandfly species involved in the transmission. Yes, just, that's just a detail. This infection is transmitted by small, thin, yellowish insects, also known as sandflies. Uh, so how does it spread? So the uh, the Leishmania protozoa are transmitted through the bites of sandflies, phlebotomine. These are the only proven biological vector of the parasites, although biting mites infected by Leishmania have been found in Australia. Secondary modalities of transmission dogs may be sexual or congenital, as well as transmission by blood transfusion. In a study conducted in Madrid in human patients, the amastigos of Leishmanian phantom have also been found in macrophages from 34-52% of discarded syringes of drug addicts. And this raised the question of possible mechanical transmission among drug users. However, I would say that all these secondary modalities are of minor concern since I would say that the only relevant transmission way for these protozoa are sand flies. Uh, so, um, what animals uh, can get can get it besides uh, dogs and humans? In most cases, Leishmaniasis has zoonosis, uh, affecting the poor in uh, rural natural areas, where a plethora of domestic and wild reservoir hosts as sand fly vectors maintain the infection while there is an increasing number of other mammalian hosts like cats, rats, foxes. Dogs really are, they play a major role in maintenance and transmitting the infection to other receptive hosts through the sand fly vectors. So just consider that in disease endemic area, 13 out of 21 human infected Leishmania have also been reported in domestic dogs. However, many species of rodents, marsupials in the wild are considered also as a reservoir of zoonotic Leishmania. For example, the reservoir of Leishmania major in the Middle East are gerbils. Some countries are trying to control this disease by culling dogs. Tell us about this culling. Yes, indeed, dogs are regarded as the principal reservoir of Leishmanian phantom, which is so far considered the most important and spread zoonotic Leishmanian species. Therefore, as far as canine Leishmaniosis, the culling of seropositive dogs has long been recommended for a strategy in several countries. As a means to decrease the prevalence of infection dogs and ultimately reducing the incidence 
of human leishmaniasis. So we know that the culling of animal reservoirs has been a common practice in ancient times for controlling the propagation of many diseases of zoonotic concern, not only leishmaniasis, including rabies, for example. However, the impact of this measure on disease transmission depends on the biology and virulence of the serological agents which are the, that are involved or on the transmission modalities, direct versus vector transmission, the number on the number of animals infected and other and, and of those that are called the epidemiological scenarios, epidemiology versus endemic situation, and also the existence of alternative wildlife reservoirs. So the rationale is that dogs serologically positive to Leishmanian phantom are called in order to reduce the number of infected dogs and ultimately the risk of zoonotic visceral Leishmaniasis in, uh, uh, in humans. For example, in Brazil, where about 3,500 human cases of visceral Leishmaniasis are reported each year. But this strategy is absolutely not successful. Uh, what are the ethical imp- implications of calling? And I and I want to say here for listeners, in case there are a few that don't aren't clear, that calling is um, euthanizing, right? Killing the dogs. Yes, I, I would say that as a scientist, uh, veterinarian, and as a representative of the most evolved biped animal living in our earth, I just say I just say that. Uh, we should not kill other animals. This was the teaching of many great persons, such as San Francesco from Assisi, who left a mark in the way of thinking of the Western culture, also for not Catholics. However, coming back to Kamalish Maniatis, as veterinarians, we swear to use scientific knowledge and skills for the benefits of society through the protection of animal health and welfare, the prevention and relief of animal suffering, the conservation of animal resources, the promotion of public health, and the advancement of medical knowledge. So specifically, an important weakness of these strategies for canalization analysis could be represented by culling seropositive but healthy dogs, which have a minimal, if not null, impact in the spreading of the infection to animals and humans. This is just unethical. Again, scientific data clearly suggests that dog culling is not a useful strategy for the control of Bishalishmaniasis balishmaninfantum. For example, in Brazil, where it is a common practice, there has not been any reduction in the overall year number of human cases, and therefore will be unethical to kill animals. Where is dog culling most commonly practiced? This practice is recommended officially in South America, Argentina, Brazil, Colombia, Uruguay, Venezuela, in the Mediterranean region, Morocco, uh, Tunisia, Middle East and Central Asia, like Armenia, Iran, Iraq, Syria, Uzbekistan. But in many parts of the world where it's not an official recommendation, but it is eventually unofficially done in practice, the, 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 the dog culling is, uh, uh, is a common uh, practice as well, like in South America, 
Paraguay, in uh, Albania, in, uh, in Algeria, in the Mediterranean area, also in Middle East and Central Asia. However, we should mention that for a long time, dog culling strategy was applied indiscriminately to all seropositive dogs, for example, in Brazil, regardless if they were sick or subclinically infected, regardless if they were not only exposed or truly infected. Nowadays, something is changing. Owners have the right to treat their dogs if infected and sick. So the dog culling strategy is becoming selective. This is really important. And it has been for a long time in other countries where cannabis maniacs is endemic. For instance, in the United States, seropositive dogs may be eliminated, but only if owners agree. Whereas the strategy is not accepted in the European Union, where euthanasia is generally reserved to severely sick dogs as a means to avoid the prolonged suffering. So you see, the situation is quite different all over the world. Is it mostly pets or strays that are called? The procedures of the dog culling strategy may vary from region, as mentioned. But typically, reservoir control programs target privately owned dogs that are seropositive and stray dogs regardless if seropositive or not. In endemic areas where fatal cases have been reported, some dog owners may voluntarily give their seronegative dogs due to their fear of the disease. This is a problem. The real problem for the government is represented, in my opinion, by the unowned infected dogs. For example, in Italy, under the EU non-kill regulation, unowned dogs are usually serological screened before entering into a municipal kennel, and if positive and sick, their treatment is covered by the municipality. So you clearly understand that uh, the adoption of such policy is very expensive in the era of the global economic crisis. It is completely uh, unrealistic uh, in developing countries. In addition, I would say that putting uh, uh, several infected dogs in a kennel could represent a public health risk if some flies are not controlled and if not infected dogs living within and nearby the kennel are not permanently protected against sand flies with topical insecticides. You're part of the Companion Vector-Borne Diseases World Forum. What is this group? So the the Companion Vector-Borne Disease World Forum is a group of key opinion leaders working on canine flying vector-borne diseases. And it was created by Norbert Menke, Bayer-Hernemann Health, a specialist in the field of parasite prevention more than 15 years ago. He was extremely brave in understanding the significance of companion vector bone diseases and their impact on our lives. We share our planet with the pets, but also with many blood-feeding ectoparasites like ticks, fleas, mosquitoes, and sunflies which transmit a plethora of viral, bacteria, protozoa, and dalmatic pathogens, which may cause diseases such as Lyme, Lyme borreliosis, babesiosis, or leishmaniasis. Many of the, these diseases are also zoonotic. And this group contributes to an ongoing discussion and update 
on vector bone diseases uh, from around the world and their effect on dogs, cats, uh, and also humans. How did this group get involved in the discussion about uh, canine leishmaniasis and dog culling? Yeah, uh, as scientists, uh, as you know, we try to translate the thoughts coming from uh, uh, our researchers in advice uh, for policy makers. For example, over the last 20 years, uh, I've been involved in many projects on the control of canalismaniasis in Europe as well as in other regions of the world, such as in Brazil, with my colleague and friend Felipe Dantas Torres from Fiocruz and Recife in Brazil. And since canine leishmaniasis is one of the global of global importance, uh, we discussed about the control of the disease, and uh, we try just to be more proactive. And uh, at the 13th symposium of CVBD World Forum had in UK on March 2018, we discussed about the control of canine leishmaniasis caused by leishmaniasis phantom in the context of one ad and consolidated a consensus statement regarding the usefulness of dog culling as a means of controlling visual leishmaniasis. Okay, so the Companion Vector-Borne Diseases World Forum put together a statement about whether or not culling is effective. Can you summarize that statement? It is important to, to clarify that this statement was based on the systemic reviews of studies evaluating the effectiveness of dog culling as a means of control strategy. This is really important. Based on that, we have concluded that available scientific information is insufficient to support its use. For example, in spite of thousands of dogs culled every year in Brazil, the prevalence of leishmaniasis by leishmanic phantom infection is still high in several for child. Finally, dog culling is ineffective. Therefore, for the control of canalismaniasis and for reducing the risk of human infection, companion animals should be protected from sandfly bites in order to prevent, firstly, the leishmanial infection, then the spread from already infected dogs. Additional control measures, including environmental vector control, vaccination, prophylactic medications, may also be used where, uh, when available. Yeah. And uh, finally, uh, the dog culling strategy in the in areas where visual leishmaniasis is endemic should be replaced with the alternative non-terminal measures that can prevent infection in dogs. And this was our final recommendation. Could you go into a little more detail about why culling, as horrible as it is, doesn't actually work? Yeah, the reasons uh, for the failure of this uh, strategy, of dog culling strategy, uh, used, for example, in Brazil, have been extensively discussed in recent years, uh, and uh, and they uh, include, uh, for example, the fact that any other animals, such as masuchas, rodents, and humans, themselves may act as a reservoir of leishmaniasis. In addition, dog population screening for leishmaniasis may be inaccurate when based on serological tests, and the rapid and also the rapid replacement of colored dogs with young animals 
increases the proportion of susceptible animals in the population. So the ineffectiveness of such a strategy is uh, indicated by the rising trend in the number of human cases of zoonotic visceral rishmaniasis observed between uh, the 19th and 2010 in spite of uh, the uh, incalculable name, number of dogs which have been killed during the last decades in Brazil. Okay, talk to us now a little bit about leishmaniasis control in the context of One Health. Yes. Mm, to reduce the burden of visual leishmaniasis and other tropical diseases in developing countries, uh, uh, a better quality of life, better nutrition, endorsing conditions, access to basic sanitization, and so on, and increased access to basic health care should be promoted. And we believe that the synergism between medical physicians, veterinary practitioners, researchers, uh, public health authorities, and politicians in Central to found a new base platform for planning sustainable control strategies against canal leishmaniasis. So these synergies uh, amongst all these expertise is the best example of one health perspective. What are better public health strategies that would help to prevent leishmaniasis? So the better public health strategies that would help to prevent canal leishmaniasis uh, based on the epidemiology and the biology of, uh, uh, of these uh, disease, and therefore to reduce the risk of human infection is for sure improve the general health and nutritional status of housing and housing of dogs, improve the environmental and the housing conditions so as to announce sense-like control and reduce the exposure of people to the vectors, to promote sense-like bite prevention, to reduce the risk of leishmaniasis infection non-infected dogs and this spread from already infected dogs and to implement latest concepts regarding the clinical management of canine leishmaniasis, including approaches to diagnosis and treatment. You see, all these measures are both focused on, improve, on improving human and animal health and welfare in the environment. This is the best example of one health approach. I, I believe you touched on this some uh, earlier, um, but is there an actual preventative for dogs for getting leishmaniasis? Yes. The use of repellent, such as the synthetic parrotholes on dogs, uh, has become the most effective tool for preventing leishmaniasis infection in these animals. They mode of action, uh, a, toxic, a, a toxic and a irritating effect on sense lives causes the insect disorientation and sudden abandonment of the host followed by death soon after the landing of an insect on the coat of a treated animal. And the blood feeding usually does not occur. The infection is usually prevented. The efficacy of these repellents against sandflies has been evaluated under laboratory and feed conditions with the encouraging results. For example, the insecticidal effect of some pilot foids was experimentally tested against different sandfly vectors with generally positive results and high rates of anti-feeding effects. 
Therefore, the use of pyrethroids with apparent properties in different formulations and preparations was demonstrated to be a suitable approach to reduce the risk of Leishman infantum infection in dogs under natural conditions. So based on current knowledge, uh, topical insecticides used on dogs present a promising tool for reducing the transmission of infection to dogs. Uh, for sure, more large-scale studies uh, will be needed to assess whether the massive use of collars in dogs living in a given community would also significantly impact on the incidence of the disease in humans. And along those same lines, um, how do you balance the use of insecticides to prevent diseases spread by sandflies and mosquitoes against potential risks, um, uh, against the potential risk of being exposed to these chemicals? So we should clarify that uh, control measures aimed at reducing vector population in the environment have been employed with a transitory effect since it is typically uh, uh, unsustainable in the long term, as you mentioned, due to complex ecology of vectors as well as to the severe technical and economic reasons. Uh, for example, a variety of tenfold species may be potentially involved in transmission of infantum, and the ecology and behavior of each species may be widening. Similarly, the size of the area to be treated in countries where Lesmanus is endemic may be vast and make environmental control economically unaffordable. However, the application of insecticides on the walls and roof of human habitation in animal shelters was shown to be effective in reducing the population of sandflies in outbreaks of human leishmaniasis when a high density of sandflies found near or in human habitation. Synthetic pyrethroids are currently used by public health authorities in several countries, but I would say that uh, the, the treatment with pyrethroids of dogs is not really affecting the, the it's not really a, a major concern, even because uh, synthetic pyrethroids are important to prevent not only sand flies, the sand fly bites, but also ticks, fleas, and other, other ectoparasites which may feed on dogs. So we need to treat our animals against arthropods. Once a, a dog or a person gets leishmaniasis, is there a treatment for it? Uh, yes, uh, sure, there are many. Uh, the treatment for leishmaniasis has evolved considerably in the past decades, and available protocols may, may promote clinical cure of infected dogs, reduce parasitic load, and decrease the risk of leishmaniasis transmission. Therefore, we have to clarify that the treatment of dogs with leishmaniasis is not only aimed at increasing their life expectancy and improving quality of life of diseased animals, but also to diminish the, paras the parasite load and thereby reducing their infectiousness uh, to sand flies. Uh, for instance, a, a reduction in the phlebotomus perniciosus infection rate, the phlebotomus perniciosus is one of the main vectors of Leishmaniasis infantum in Mediterranean basin. 
after the treatment with the meglumine antimonide alone or in association in association with allopurinol was recorded in Leishman infected dogs. So the use of allopurinol in association with the, with the meglumine antimonide treatment could contribute to keeping dogs non-infectious, especially during the disease transmission season, which is from late May to early October in Southern Europe. Altogether, these studies clearly indicate the benefits of treating infected dogs in areas where Leishman infantile infection is endemic. Yep. So, summarizing, overall, what steps do you think communities should take to prevent leishmaniasis, and what do you foresee as the biggest challenge in this? It's not easy. That's a not easy question. Leishmaniasis is a multifaceted disease, and for this reason, its control is not easy to achieve. In fact, the control of such a complex disease requires a well-rounded approach based on current knowledge on the biology of the parasites and this vector, while also considering interaction with the host at individual and population levels. At present, different strategies uh, are available for the prevention and control of carnage maniasis, including vaccination, use of repellents, uh, and the treatment of infected dogs, but not that dog culling. Governmental authorities should tackle affordable surveillance systems to optimize economic resources and to achieve the best outputs, outputs possible. Importantly, the effectiveness of the combined use of repellent plus vaccination in the prevention of climate maniasis should be assessed in large-scale randomized controlled field trials. So the biggest challenge is probably represented by the high percentage of asymptomatic infections may occur in dogs and humans. Both may potentially serve as a source of infection to satisfy vectors. The definitive diagnosis also of Leishmanian of infection in asymptomatic dogs is troublesome due to the inherent limitation of serological and parasitological methods. The immunogenic as well as immunosuppressive molecules released by sand flies while taking a blood meal greatly may interfere with individual host immune responses. And so further studies on the interactions with, with, between immunomodulatory molecules represent, in, uh, which are present and in, in inoculated sand flies by sand flies, and the host immune response will contribute to the development of vaccines, for example, for sand fly conserved antigens. Again, another contained is the cost is the cost of control campaigns uh, uh, to the population level, which are often not affordable for the local governmental authorities in developing as as well as in developed countries in, in the industrialized can, countries. So, uh, in a time of global economic crisis, three and sheltered dogs maintain which are maintained in municipal kennels may represent a risk factor for zoonotic dysharishmaniasis transmission in areas with a high rate of infection and die vector density. These are the biggest challenges, in my opinion. Do you have dogs of your own? Yeah, two. They are Aragon, 
Yeah, I have a Haragon who, who is a clever and energetic German shepherd, and uh, uh, Zena, uh, who is a lazy Labrador. Both complement each other. <laughs> They're similar to the characters of my two daughters, Sophia and Agatha, but I will not tell them these. <laughs> and then uh, and, uh, they have a great relationship with my family. Yep. Yes, dogs are wonderful. Um, tell us about your job and, and what brings you the most joy from it. Ah, okay. <laughs> I feel a researcher. I feel a researcher and have been privileged in becoming very early in my age a full professor at 33 years of age. Since then, I have been working on vector bone diseases. I was lucky enough in doing some amazing research such as elucidating the biological life cycle of the human high-worm Terracia calipeda in Europe and working on many basic and applied aspects of ectobone diseases causing pathogens. And I've always been working with colleagues and uh, who become friends. But the most thrilling uh, thing of my job, in my opinion, is working with young researchers coming from all over the world. For example, sharing with them our research experience through the PASCO, which is a residential parasitology summer course I organized with Filipe Dantastore since seven years. It means sharing our lives and research experience with junior colleagues, and it brings me the most joy. Uh, this, uh, let me think, uh, as my life will last a little bit more than what actually shall be. And definitely, I believe in the social commitment of all scientists. I believe that science should not only be free and available to all people and researchers in the world, but it should also make people free. And an important concept inspiring my daily life is uh, the quality of all human beings, which must not be undermined by any form of discrimination, racial, political, economic, religious, gender, or based on one's sexual orientation or poverty. We all deserve the same opportunities in our pursuit of scientific knowledge towards the world for all. This is my main driver. And it is also clearly reported in the program of the eight parasitology summer course we will run in Iran next summer. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today, Dr. Tronto. It was a pleasure. It was really amazing. Grazie. Thank you. Ciao, Sara. Ciao. And thank you, listeners out there, for joining us. You can read the December 2019 article, Canine Leishmaniasis Control in the Context of One Health, online at cdc.gov eid. I'm Sarah Gregory for Emerging Infectious Diseases. For the most accurate health information, visit cdc.gov or call 1-800-CDC-INFO.